0: I was nine years old and i guess she said i had heard it was a good movie and i wanted to see it so i was thought uh, it was a movie about camping was a connoisseur of cinema at a young age from nine years old i asked to see brookback mountain but there's like a pretty aggressive sex scene at like (laughs) the what 25 minute mark probably of the movie yeah and i came out and i was like i don't think this movie is about like I i don't think this is a Western the traditional Western welcome to backseat directing where we talk about movies TV shows comics and more We're your hosts Andrew and Aaron and we post new episodes every Monday and Thursday and on
1: this episode We're doing a movie review on Brokeback Mountain
0: three two one Yeehaw. yee-haw (laughs) <laughs> we were in sync We did, we did it, it. <laughs> I often wonder if our openings seem pre-recorded Because I feel like I say yeah. the things Like the exact same way Yeah, so. lately your thing has been
1: A three, a two, a one
0: Well, no, this one was a southern accent It was like yeah. three, two yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I, I mean, I'm not that good with accents But I know, I said at lately,
1: that's what you're <laughs> doing you
0: know? So you, you switched it up this time Speaking of accents, oh. the accents in this movie We're very good. Now, the movie that we're covering is *Brookback Mountain came out in 2005. Uh, I'm very excited to discuss this with you. Was it the first time you watched it? It is. I had not seen this movie before. So I had actually seen part of the movie. um, When I I confirmed this story with my mother the other day, because it was Mother's Day um, yesterday. And I was talking to her. (laughs) I was like... Do you remember the when, when I watched *Brokeback Mountain* and she used to started dying laughing? So if you don't know, it's also R-rated, and uh, I was nine years old, and I guess she said I had heard it was a good movie, and I wanted to see it. So I was uh, thought it was a movie about camping. Was a connoisseur of cinema at a young age, from nine years old, asked to see *Brokeback Mountain*, and <laughs> we got it from wherever, from Netflix, and then came in a little yeah, slip so she, in the mail. We used did to you say Netflix. Yeah, we used to get the um oh my god slip in the mail um the little yeah we we my mom she was saying too that we should be legacy account holders she said we should get a discount because we had crazy we had netflix before they streamed we would do blockbuster
1: and then eventually we did like redbox
0: yeah we we did blockbuster too way back but the um (laughs) well we got it got in the mail and she said that i was watching the movie and i just walked out of the room and i was like um I don't know if I'm supposed to be watching this. You are watching by yourself? Yeah. I made it to the point where, like, there's basically, spoiler alert, we are going to spoil the movie, but there's, like, a pretty aggressive sex scene at, like, the, what, 25-minute mark, yeah. probably, of the movie? Yeah. And I came out, and I was like, I don't think this movie is about, like, I don't, I don't think this is a Western, a traditional Western. And... um <laughs> yeah. So I didn't finish the movie back then. So you stopped. It so there. this was the first time I watched the movie all the, the way through. <laughs> I guess you could call it that. <laughs> but I was really excited to watch the movie all the way through. And I really, really thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really great. Yeah, it was good. And it was
1: a good like kind of change in genre too. You know, we've been Superhero movies lately, so
0: this is the kind of thing that I feel like I've been waiting for. Like when you said, when we like you said, when we stepped out of John Wick, because we watched a lot of John Wick movies in one week, yes, and then so this is, I feel like we switched over a little bit to like I feel like it's like a breath of fresh air, like you said, you know, maybe a little more critical, artsy movie. And I was, I really love picking apart these kinds of movies, yeah, it was a good movie. Um, this movie
1: is. I'm gonna go into the summary of the movie, and then we'll kind of break down all the statistics. Awesome. The What's movie? the movie about? So, in the summer of 1963, two roughneck cowboys take a job herding sheep on Brokeback Mountain. The two men fall in love, but struggle with their sexuality. Over the next 20 years, they navigate the waters of growing f- growing families and fulfilling traditional masculine roles, while harboring hob- the <laughs> <laughs> Deeply passionate
0: feelings for someone they each feel like they can't be with. It's tragic that when you look on IMDb, the categories genres for this movie are drama and romance. Mm-hmm. And I found myself being really hit by the romance aspects of this movie in a way that I didn't quite expect. And I just I feel like maybe the reason I didn't expect it is. Because I am heterosexual, so maybe I didn't expect to like identify it with it so much. But it's such a strength of this movie because the it, Heath Ledger talks about it in a really cool interview that I want to discuss. I don't know if you've seen this little clip, it's like a two minute clip, but he talks about in a way he says the the idea of love being universal and like yes, this movie flips kind of traditional ideals on its head: ideals of masculinity, ideas of the cowboy, middle America. But that's kind of the point is that love is universal. And I feel like you find yourself really enthralled in this love story. And it doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman or two men at, which is what happens to be in the story. And like, I was really like enthralled with this romance. Like I put it in my top three romance movies of all time. After I finished watching it, I told Sierra it's like wow. stuck in love, crazy, stupid love and Brookback mountain. Dang. That's
1: pretty high praise there to bring it into the top three. I'd say I kind of connected to it in more of like a slow burn you know like as the movie went on i got more and more invested in them uh being together uh and i feel like that's just kind of the the flow of the movie i feel like the movie was kind of like that like it once i picked up on like what pace we're going with here then
0: i kind of was able to settle into the story more. it's a very different movie to watch in our position because it's not 2005 and we kind of have an idea of what the movie's about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's totally different experience the way we're watching it in 2023. Um, it's through like a totally different lens, not only for our time period, but also just for some of the natural inherent spoilers of a movie existing for whatever, 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it came out a while ago. Um, and
1: during that time, like this stuff was suppressed even more than it is now.
0: Yeah. I mean, the story takes place in 1960s to start. So 1960s to the eighties. So in that time period, really, really, so, yeah, yeah, really terrible. But then even in 2005, like you said, uh, not as easy a time as it is now. So this movie was definitely really groundbreaking. Um, I've seen, I've I read different reviews and, um, I saw one gentleman, he said that, He's like, I am a homosexual man in who lives in middle America. I think he said actually in Wyoming and that the movie to him getting to see like a more masculine representation of a gay man in a movie was like meant a lot to him that it was that it was inspiring to him. And so I think that I've also seen other reviews just saying that this movie kind of paved the way for more representation for the LGBTQ community in cinema and in mainstream cinema and more art, like more of these kind of movies that get Oscar attention as well. So this movie is, super groundbreaking and it's not just a good movie but it's also like it's uh, groundbreaking in the sense that it's like it took a risk it took a risk and it and i think it paid off in a really beautiful way i mean i think the world would agree i mean what is what do the ratings say um okay so this movie as we said came out in 2005
1: it's rated r it's two hours and 14 minutes long and it won three oscars Hell we have yeah. directing adapted screenplay play and original score IMDb has it at a 7.7 7 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes for the critics has an 88% uh, f- with 250 reviews. And then audience score has at 82%, which I feel like both of those numbers are higher than I was expecting them to be. The 82%? Yeah, not because the movie is
0: worse than oh, because stories. of but because of like people's perception of this kind of movie yeah you know what i mean and and also like the subject matter you always get review bombing when something it goes out on a limb and yeah you know, and like, you've got a lot of time when especially like the rotten tomatoes a
1: lot of times when you don't like something you're more likely to re- leave a review yeah. than if you do like something so that the is fact true. that 82 percent of the reviews out of two hundred and fifty thousand were positive you know like That was more than I was expecting it to be.
0: But the the positive reviews are definitely representative of what the movie deserves. You talked about Oscars. This movie got a lot of attention. So, uh, best dude, they were like nominated in like every every category. category. (laughs) It's it should it should have swept that year. It lost Best Picture to Crash, um, which from what I've read was. A shock to some. It said Jack Nicholson, who pre- presented the award, was seemed to be a surprise, and there was a hush in the crowd. Everyone expected Brokeback Mountain to win Best Picture, but it went to Crash Instead, which is also a good movie. Uh, so Best Supporting, uh, Michelle Williams and Jake Gyllenhaal were both nominated. Heath Ledger's nominated for Best Actor. And then, like you said, they won Best Director with Ang Lee. He's the first Asian American actually ever to win Best Director. Uh, and part of a small group, I think there's only less than 10 asian americans that have ever re- won an oscar there I, I think they might have gone up to 11 with these last oscars with the cast of everything everywhere all at once but Ang Lee is also the first person of color in general uh to win a best director so they also were nominated for best writing of an adapted screenplay and nominated for best cinematography and best original score incredible
1: yeah for sure uh let's kind of go into our ratings a little bit uh, we break down movies into six categories, each of which have a little bit different of a weighting, depending on how important we think it is to the overall movie. The first category is story, and this is out of 10. I put an 8 out of 10. Andrew, what did you put down? I put 10 out of 10. Dang. Okay. Yeah. So commonly, Andrew says a 10 out of 10 is how you compare other movies to this category. So out of all all other movie stories a 10 out of 10 every movie is going to be kind of compared to this movie
0: is it on this level so this is at the top for you this is at the absolute top for me i think that it tells a a unique story at the time it tells a story that i don't think anything like it had been told before it's a very it's it's a play on the traditional kind of forbidden love i mean it's it's, it's a similar to Romeo and Juliet, but there's very, very different subtext. And I think that they executed it really flawlessly. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the story was great, yeah. too. I think there's a reason think, that they were nominated for Best Writing in the Adaptive Screenplay category. They actually won for that category as well. Yes. Um, our next category is Acting. Uh,
1: we have this out of 10 as well. I put 8 out of 10. What did you put? 10 out of 10 dang andrew the last few movies we've done you've been just throwing out high scores
0: i've been very favorable to them but i feel like they're deserved scores
1: yeah i think the acting was solid in this movie even above solid you know i think jake joan hall and um why did i lose his name heath ledger heath ledger uh blew it out of the park
0: you know michelle williams as well her performance as alma i think it can be lost as her not having it as much screen time as the two men, but in really, really phenomenal and kind of that you, that shot we talked about off off camera, where which we'll get into, where she sees her husband kissing another man for the first time. There's so much. There's so much there. I mean, she. There's really no shock. It's just like a deep sadness, and like maybe it was even something she suspected. So there, I, it's she's really phenomenal in this movie as well. Yeah, the just like the overall like pacing and structure
1: of the story it was really cool um and the they made it feel like it's real life you know just the way that the actors like went about things you know like they it felt like real dialogue yeah, and especially then, when they were in the mountains for the first time you know and like uh and this wasn't talking you know and he's very quiet and they had that one conversation he's like that's the most i've my- spoke all in eight years or something. Yeah, he that said, that's the, like.
0: that's the most that you, friend, that's the most that you said since we've been out here. He's like, that's the most I said all year. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, the everything, the the voice acting, dialect coaching, the practical use of scenery, the practical use of animals with the sheep, it's so much lends to it feeling real. They feel like real fleshed out full characters. You feel like they're disappeared into these people. Yeah.
1: And I feel like Heath Ledger did such a good job that you could almost like, overpass or overlook how good of a job he did you know because his character he's playing someone who's a little more stoic a little more quiet you know like who isn't expressing or as like crazy uh with their actions and stuff so i feel like you can kind of miss it it's kind of like those the little subtle things, you know, like just how he opens his mouth when he's talking, you know, like his upper lip doesn't move that much, like kind of like he's got something in your mouth, you know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: and he's such a good example of repression in everything from that tightness of the facial structure to like when words do come out, they're whispered almost. Mm-hmm. Like it's not real force. He's not outspoken. And then he's a good ex his repression also shows in the the way that it builds up and explodes like it's a it's a good representation of expre- of repression in cinema in general because he's hiding who he is hiding how he really feels he's holding everything in and then there's like climactic moments of explosion in the movie like when he when he hits jack twist when he fights those guys in the scene with the fireworks when he or grabs alma El- alma and one of shakes the her. most like relatable scenes to me was when
1: he like said goodbye to jack after their first mm-hmm. time on the mountain and they were like yeah like can't really meet up again you know like we don't really know when we're gonna be able to see each other like i'm gonna be busy you're gonna be busy blah 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 and then like afterwards he just like broke down in frustration sadness uh maybe anger too that maybe he didn't like say more yeah like that's how i took it to make more effort to like make plans to see each other again because it's what he wants to do he just doesn't know how to get it out and i feel like i feel like that a lot where it's like this is what i want But for some reason, I just can't get the words out to say it. And then the moment passes and all I can do is like beat myself up is like, why didn't I say that? You know, like, that's what
0: I wanted this whole time. And I couldn't get it out. I think it's also part of that scene, too, is his anger at himself for the way he left things with Jack because he just punched him in the face Mm -hmm. and like. I mean, they had that fight and then they left on such a bad note. I think the way things ended really frustrated him. And then there's a symbolism that I wanted to talk about at some point in the episode where the cowboy hats that they wear are a manifestation of like masculinity or like traditional masculinity, which is like being stoic, hiding your emotions, kind of these things that are now we're realizing are so hurtful and and bad for our our health. But uh, so there's different points where the hat itself is used to cover uh, his genitals, his heart, and his face. And the scene that you brought up, he's like punching the wall, hunkered down, arched over, crying you know, in his most vulnerable state and the hat he's held to the side of his face, to the open side of the alley, covering his face to any passersby where he eventually yells at that guy, but he's hiding his tears. And then there's, when he first approaches, or the second time he approaches Jack, actually the second time that they are going to make love in the tent, he approaches the tent with first with the hat covering his genitals, you know, uh, kind of repressing his physical intimacy, his physical sexuality, in my opinion. And then as he crouches down, he holds the hat up and covers it covers over his chest because now he's closer face to face with Jack. I see Mm. it as him kind of creating that barrier between him and using that symbol of masculinity to shield his heart because he's worried there's more to this relationship than physical and he's already not willing to accept the physical side of the relationship. I, I think there's so many cool details like this in the movie that are granular and you can miss them at not not looking at the movie under a microscope. That was a really cool observation. I, I
1: noticed when he was covering it over his genitals, but I didn't like make the connection of like covering his heart. Um, I, I still kind of picked up on the same feelings, but I didn't like make that correlation. So that was, that was really cool. Um, our next category that we use to rank our movies is cinematography. Uh, and for cinematography, this takes into account like composition, camera movement, uh, color grading, uh, special effects. It's a great um, movie for composition, I yes. think. Um, and just like location. Yeah. Know, like, um, I gave this as well an 8 out of 10. Did you give it a 10 out of 10? I
0: also gave it an 8 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> um, I kind had, I had of kind of knock at some points for, I think, just 2005 poor special effects that don't hold up. And every time I think that it might be kind of unfair, I, I look at scenes from Jurassic Park and <laughs> I'm like, this is still looks so what, good. What special effects are you referring to in particular? I just think some of the the shots where they added in the storm, mm-hmm. which is another metaphor in the movie that, in my opinion, but some some of the shots where they were adding digitally adding in the storm, I think were very clearly uh, special effects from two thousand
1: five. Um, I really enjoyed the the composition the the edit the cut you know like i think they did a great job of not distracting you from the story but like subtly uh improving it enhancing the story like you said like just the camera movement of like he opens the tent and he's he's covering himself with the cowboy hat you know and then he falls down into frame more and like they i think they did
0: a great job of like filming and editing yeah.
1: this movie. Yeah.
0: They really chose the right times, in my opinion, to let the actors do their jobs with the distance from the camera. Because the close up shots are used really well with both the main actors, especially with Ennis, to let him get his points across. Like you said, he's not, he doesn't. You know, use a lot of words. So they use these close-up shots to let him express himself, and then they have wide shots in scenes that need them, like the scene where a lot of wide shots, a lot
1: of locked-off shots, just on sticks, you know, tripods.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's it's awesome. And I was thinking of the scene with Jake Gyllenhaal, where he's the scene where he iconically says, "I wish I could quit you," and he's really emotionally having an out, you know, expression of this all these pent up emotions over the years and he's getting to use his body. Like that's when you should have a wide shot. So I think they chose that chose things very wisely. Our next uh, category here is
1: sound design. Uh, this goes in with original score, um, all the foley that you would hear, you know, like the, their footsteps, all that special f- uh, sound effects that go into making a movie, which, I think it would surprise people how much is not captured in camera, (laughs) you know, like uh, pretty much everything you're hearing outside of their voices and even sometimes their voices is done after the fact, which is really crazy to think that someone sits there and does that for a whole two and a half hour movie,
0: you know? Yeah, it's hard to do out in nature too, where there's such a variety of sounds, such an uncontrolled environment. Yeah, they, they probably for this movie captured a lot of the sounds
1: on location, just probably not. Within the shot that you're actually seeing, um, for this, I gave it a seven out of ten. For sound design, I also gave it a seven out of ten. Yeah, I thought I thought it was solid. Um, this the original score won an Oscar, you know, like and the the main theme that's playing throughout the uh, movie is really solid, uh, and I liked how they kind of changed the intensity of it as it kind of went through the uh, through the movie. Um, but there wasn't anything like super crazy, you know, that stuck out. I mean, to like bring it over the top for me, but it kind of like cinematography, it, it was subtle to where like, you don't overly notice it, but without it, you would miss some of the emotion that you'd get with it there. You know, um, do you have anything to add to the sound design?
0: No, oh, I I like the original score. It was kind of I feel like a relatively simple tone when I heard it. I think there's one instance. I like that though. I feel yeah. like it fits. Yeah, I I I do like the more simple scores. It's simple but effective. There's one instance in the movie that I feel like kind of almost felt cheesy, like a sitcom tone where it played. I think they embraced and it was like and like played their little tone and it felt kind of maybe loud and poorly timed like
1: singular moments really (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool i can't do that i I think of like the like when i think of memories and stuff i think of like the general feeling that i felt
0: i type notes while i watch these too
1: maybe i should start doing that um our next category is set slash character design which this one's unique because a lot of it was in person yeah they were on location they were in the
0: mountains herding sheep but we also encapsulate costume design into this as part of the character and yeah. they they use really authentic materials and style for the time period and, you know going from 60s 70s 80s mm-hmm. and i think also just changing the, the hairstyles the facial hair of the main characters to yeah. not only show the time had passed but to show that you know different styles and different time periods very subtle yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah, it, you can definitely see the difference. The thing that I appreciated a lot was when they take their hat off, they have like hat hair. Yeah. You know, like it, it wasn't like they just put it on for the scene and it's like their hair's not all messed yeah. up or sweaty. Like it looks like their hat has been on for a long yeah. time when the, they took it off.
0: The movie prioritized realism over perfection, certainly, mm-hmm. which realism is perfection yes. if you ask, you know, most yeah. people. And they, uh, the other thing, the attention to detail is crazy. You can, you can watch throughout the movie. As their life progresses, their body and clothes match their lifestyle. There's a point where Jake Gyllenhaal, at one of the, the times they're going out camping together, you notice that he starts to put on some weight. And it's comfort weight. He's been in a marriage. He has a comfortable job. But you don't, notice them adding that to Ennis because it's not just to show that time has passed. It's to show the lifestyle. Ennis is still out there, you know, cowboying, like he's still out there doing the hurting or whatever, or different jobs. He, he calls it something, but he's staying in shape because his life nature of his job is still physical. Yeah.
1: Our last category
0: is rewatchability.
1: And this is out of five. So the way that I think of like how to give this a score is how many times are you gonna watch this movie out of five? So if I ask you, Andrew, you wanna watch this movie, and I do it five times, how many times are you gonna say yes? We didn't give our rating for
0: set set slash character design. We just talked.
1: Did about we it. not? <laughs> oh my gosh, I think you're totally right. So that's also out of five. I gave that a three point five. What did you give it? You gave it a four. A four? Okay, so pretty close there. I I liked it because of again, like they were yeah. on practical
0: sets. Like there's we, something that you can't just. You can't beat that. You know, I think such a beautiful yeah, landscapes yeah. too. God, I just love to look at it. Like I could just watch a running screen of those like rapids and everything. But what did Definitely. you end up putting for the rewatchability? Rewatchability,
1: I have it at a 1.5 for me. And I don't think that's necessarily like a bad thing. Um, I think I've kind of got everything from the story the first time. Yeah. You know, and like and it's not to say that I would never rewatch this. It's just the likelihood of me watching this is pretty low yeah. and it's probably that way for any romance movie, you know, like yeah. not to say I wouldn't rewatch it, but I'm not going to jump back on it yeah. and as likely as another movie.
0: I'm not going to get back up on that horse. That's right. And and I gave it a two um, out of five for the rewatchability. And I think it's also partly it's because it's of all the things you said, but also because it's tough subject matter yeah. and you have to be in a certain mood to go back and especially with the ending of this movie, which we'll get to and spoil, uh, you have to... It's not something that you want to watch every day. It's emotional. It's It takes a toll on you to watch certain movies, you know? This wasn't really
1: a happy movie. You know? It wasn't
0: happy at all. And there's, this is actually commonly thought of as a trope in cinema for uh, gay and LGBTQ people that they... It's always tragedy with those characters. And I think... It partly I think it's probably because the emotionality is so rich in those cases. Because because there's inherently so much to overcome, it's also inherently deeply emotional and they want audiences to feel that emotion. So yeah. they do kind of get picked on in that way. They, they they say that they don't let gay couples be happy in movies. It's always something yeah, they it not much
1: happened that was good. <laughs> you know, like it especially the ending was like you said, hard to watch. It's you have to be in a certain mood to watch this type of movie. Um, All right. So that is our ratings of the individual score. So my overall score comes out to a 7.2 out of 10.
0: What did you get mine comes out one whole point higher at an 8.2 out of 10.
1: Okay, nice. It's all those uh, 10 out of 10s that you gave for the
0: first few categories. Uh, It accurately makes up for the rewatchability score I gave it and makes and it and the movie totals out to a score that I think symbolizes how I view it. Yeah. I think partially I'm just
1: afraid to give a movie a perfect score on something. I don't think I've done that yet. In any category? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe I did on Creed three, but I can't think of any other movie that we've actually reviewed that. For I, what On Creed like, cinematography or? Maybe I think <laughs> so. So like, yeah, I don't know. I think I just have a hard time. Like, yeah, this was perfect. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> like,
0: what if there's something that I like more? Yeah. I mean, there's no such thing yeah. as perfect, you know. Yeah tends the top the top 1% of the yeah the crop.
1: So that wraps up all of the ratings. Let's go on to the budget box office numbers and then after that we'll go into who made this movie. Sounds good. Um so the budget for this movie uh kind of surprised me in the sense of like we haven't reviewed a ton of movies that have this low of a budget. Do you know what it is? I've seen it before. Yeah. But it doesn't surprise me in terms of like the scale of the movie. Like it's definitely like, oh yeah, I can see why it was that. But was it it
0: forty million? No, it was fourteen. I knew there was a four. Fourteen,
1: yeah. So that's just a lot lower than most of the movies that we're reviewing. So it kind of caught me by surprise.
0: But it was a huge success.
1: Yes, it brought in in the box office one hundred and seventy-eight million dollars. Good lord. Yeah. So that's a pretty big multiplier above
0: it's pretty huge return on investment like that studio must have been really excited yes definitely um all right let's go into
1: who made this movie in front and behind the camera
0: All right, so in this segment, we talk about who's in front of and behind the camera, but we usually like to start with who is behind the camera. I'm gonna go through it a little bit quicker than I normally would because I wanna make sure we have time to discuss um, the characters in this movie and the arc that they go on, some of the themes and and symbolism as well. So the director for this movie is Ang Lee, Ang Lee has a really good career in Hollywood directing other movies like crouching tiger, hidden dragon life of Pi*, Gemini and Gemini man and the original Hulk with Eric Bana, um, plus a bunch of other movies. But, um, is an awesome, awesome director who has a great filmography. Uh, the for under cinematography we have Ro, uh, Rodrigo Prieto, who absolutely knocked it out of the park with this film, as we already discussed. The music is done by. Uh, I hope I'm not butchering the pronunciation of the last name, but Gustavo um, Santolalla. Santeola. I can't get that at all. If you can't, I can't. So San, Santaola, maybe. It's a lot. It's a lot of letters. Um, But then, you know, his work won an Oscar for this movie. So you can't take uh, pretty much everybody in one of these categories was nominated or won an Oscar. Um, And then I want to also start to mention the editors as well for movies. This movie is edited by Geraldine Peroni and Dylan Tichenor. I'm pronouncing that last name right as well, um, but moving on to the cast who's in front of the camera, we have our stars. Uh, the star of this movie, who was nominated for best actor in a leading role, Heath Ledger as Ennis Del Mar. Jake Gyllenhaal plays Jack Twist. Michelle Williams brilliantly portrays Alma. Anne Hathaway portrays Lorene Newsome. Linda Cardinelli is Cassie. Uh, Anna Faris plays LaShawn Malone. David Harbour, who I was surprised to see in this movie, you might recognize him from as Hopper from Stranger Things, mm-hmm. or as Red Guardian from The Avengers, or as Hellboy. He plays Randall Malone. And Kate Mara is Alma Jr., who Kate Mara has a pretty good career now as well as an up-and-coming yep. actress. Now that is everyone that I have in front of the screen. Who did you enjoy the most in the movie? Uh, before I get to that, it kind of surprised me that
1: Anne Hathaway like, was in this movie because, like, I feel like she's a
0: big time actress. And so yeah, I feel like she was underused. Like she was barely in the movie. So she actually was originally attached to play Alma, and she had a uh, audition lined up, and she ended up doing her audition in a uh, A big foofy princess dress she was on set of Princess Diaries Two filming a parade scene and she fil- she did her audition on her lunch break and her agent actually had to apologize for the fact that she showed up in this outfit, but she found herself being more attracted or interested in the loreen character, which I think is strange because I think Alma is a way better role but i think it's more so her personal preference she ended up playing alma because she was a re- there's all kinds of different people attached to this movie at one point uh different directors too, the uh, joel schumacher and gus van sant which i mean joel schumacher director of batman Gus van sant directed goodwill hunting good directors were attached at one point to direct this movie ended up being directed by ang lee which i think is i'm glad it was because yeah, it wouldn't be the I'm movie sure it so. is <laughs> but um and then a bunch of actors were attached too. joaquin phoenix was at one point considered to play the role uh, I believe Ennis I and, and people have said that he was offered the role, but he denies it. He says that if he was offered it, he definitely would have accepted it, but uh, he was considered in a bunch of other actors. I think Josh Hartnett was considered. There's like a list of people who were considered, you know, people are going to think that was staged, but that was just all off the
1: cuff. That was good. You know, I, you didn't know that I was going to bring her up right there. That was good. You teed me up really well. Yeah. I
0: I had that, that information. That was nice, <laughs> man.
1: Um, Okay, what was the original question? Who was my favorite character? Yeah, your favorite, either performance or character, both. I think the character that I related to the most was Ennis.
0: You know, like, how he's, like... Holding your emotions in. Yeah,
1: it kind of keeps things close to the chest. It's a general, like, pr- it's
0: a pressure on men in general, I mean... Right. Yeah,
1: and, like, I don't know, sometimes you feel like you you have to be, like, really tough in certain situations, and, you know, like, you have to, like, kind of put on this, like facade you know in a sense and like i can relate to him like suppressing his emotions and keeping things close to the chest And i think uh heath ledger did a great job of portraying that on screen like i said before that it's hard to act a character that's like very subtle like that you know and and make it deeper to where Yes, he's saying these things or going through these actions, but to where on screen you can see that there's more going on deep down. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's hard to portray. You know, especially if that's not how you are in real life. You know,
0: yeah, it's hard to argue that it's not the best performance in the movie. I think uh, that John Hall and Michelle Williams are both contenders. You know, at all these performances in the movie are great. Even the smaller roles like Linda Cardinelli, fantastic. But Heath Ledger is just so amazing in this role. And every time I watch a movie with him, it makes me so deeply saddened to know that we won't get more performances from him because he had such a bright career ahead of him with, I mean, every role that I've seen him in is phenomenal. And I've seen dialect coach, dialect coaches praise his accent, praise his vocal posture. I've seen, uh, you know, genuine uh, reviews from people who are like, yeah, I am, I'm, i am a cowboy like i'm a modern cowboy and this guy literally walks like he's from wyoming walks like he's a cowboy like i've i've read people online saying that he's this authentic there was actually a, a training camp that they did for jake john hall and heath ledger to, they did like a multi-week camp training and being cowboy and They said Heath Ledger barely needed any help because he grew, I guess he grew up on kind of uh, a ranch in Australia where he grew up or New Zealand, whatever it was. And he, so he had a lot of experience with these different things. They were teaching him, tying knots, riding horses and different stuff like that. And so he's kind of a natural and I, I don't know how he nailed all these aspects so well, but he's, he was a very naturally talented person. Yeah. Both of them, Jake Gyllenhaal, Heath Ledger. They sold me
1: that they were cowboys and that they knew what they were doing. I was watching an interview with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and he was saying, like, yeah, when we were going through uh, working with all these animals and stuff, like, H- Heath Ledger would just go up to the horse and say, like, calm down. And the <laughs> horse would just, you know, like, just settle down, and then he's like, I'm going to ride you now. And then he gets on the horse, and the horse is, like, accepted and all calm, and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was saying that he was, like, the opposite. Like, that was something that he didn't grow up with. He didn't grow up around animals. And that he actually got a dog for this role to where he can, like, be interacting with animals more often. And, so cool. And uh, he was like, yeah, Heath Ledger was just a natural with all of this stuff, you know. And I had to get used to interacting and touching and uh, being around animals so much. So it's crazy how, like, these actors really have to dedicate a lot of time to just learning, you know, like even just all the different locations and stuff like they had to get to those locations. They had to, you know, like they were working (laughs) for a lot of these scenes. There's a lot
0: of coaching and training that goes into it just to like make something look natural, like make the the role feel lived in. And Heath Ledger said that he would isolate himself and just kind of walk around in an empty room, getting into the headspace of the character, getting into the thought process of why he feels this way and all of that with Make and, and that dialect coach talks about this too, like making an accent feel lived in, like all these aspects that we're talking about, this training and stuff is so that when they're doing it on camera, it seems natural because you can't, they can't look like they're thinking about any of these things that they're doing. It's really, it's an impressive talent acting. Yeah, they, they sold it a hundred percent for sure. Uh, let's kind of dive into the story a little bit more before we dive into the story. I do. Before we forget, I want to thank our listeners. So thank you guys very much. If you made it this far into the episode, we appreciate everyone who listens or watch watches our show. If I can finish that thought
1: watched in the past,
0: (laughs) whichever, whichever one. I don't know how you're seeing this, (laughs) (laughs) but we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. If you could feel free to share us with a friend or family and leave a like and a comment, we love to engage with everyone about the show. Very nice. So, I think I was getting a little ahead of myself because I remember
1: earlier, before we started recording, that you had this news segment idea or this little game or something that you wanted to do on this episode.
0: Yeah, just to so, just kind of break things up a little bit. I want to hit you keeping, with... A, keeping me on my toes yeah. here. I'm going to hit you with a would you rather just real oh, quick and I'm gonna try to relate it to the movies that we're watching. So okay. my question for you, and this is a little bit tailored to you, but would you rather every summer you have to live in the mountains you have to live like they lived in this movie Mm -hmm. okay all summer yeah or be a cowboy yeah yeah or all at any time always you have to ride a horse to any destination you're going no more cars oh uh i think i would definitely pick riding a horse to every location um just think about your your competition like getting to orlando I'd just pick a closer competition. (laughs) I'm I'm a
1: homebody, you know? So, like, if I just had access to only a horse or, like, whatever, that's the rules, like, I feel like I could just... You know, close my
0: circle a little bit, and I'll be good to go. I knew that was a tough call because um, I knew how much you would hate to live in the woods. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I mean, I've camped before and stuff. Yeah, but a summer's a long like, time. Like, yeah, that's three what I was like, going to say. Like three months, because then like I couldn't do my competition because I'd be cowboying <laughs> the whole summer. I couldn't do this podcast because I'd be a cowboy for the whole summer. So for me, that's kind of easy. What would you pick? For
0: me, it's a really tough choice, but I guess I would pick. I'm assuming you'd have to be away from everyone too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, Well, here's the thing: you can't. Working. You also can't. You can't ride in a car at all. You can't have somebody drive you anywhere. Because the, the rule is, you have to travel by horseback. Yeah. So I'm you really can't. It. I guess I'd pick the same. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. Three months is just a you long can't time. Spend three months without me. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say Sierra, but yeah. No. It's mostly you. Yeah. I know. That's <laughs> why I said it. <laughs> Let us know your answers to the "Would you rather" in the comments. All right. Do you have another one, or is that? That's what we got for this episode. Okay,
1: I like it. Just a little just something to think about. That's good. All right. So this story actually starts with them cowboying in the mountains. Uh, you want to kind of go through there and walk how this movie starts in this first act?
0: Yeah. So the movie I see it through these three acts, but also through the progression of the relationship. So when they first meet, they're in this um it's like portable little trailer where Mm this uh where Agiri conducts his business and I feel like they're kind of, you know, I planned this, I didn't plan this pun, but I am going to say it anyway. They're kind of sheepish where they're, they kind of stealing glances at each other. (laughs) They're kind of peeking at each other. Like they don't really know what to make of this other guy, which, you know, anybody would do if you're about to spend a couple months living in the woods with them. But, uh, you know, Context clues, like I said, changes the way you and I watch the movie in the time period. So mm-hmm. I kind of see uh, them feeling each other out, kind of glancing at each other. Um, maybe they happen to notice that the other gentleman is an attractive man. You know, it's the this the start of this relationship between them, and it starts off on um, this this note that. They are going to spend a lot of time together. It's going to be an intimate experience whether they want or not They introduce themselves and we get off very quickly that Ennis is a man of few words um, He's succinct, but he lets us know they set the stage telling us that his parents died when he was young and He was raised by his brother and sisters So that gives us a lot of information about Ennis that we will come to see a lot about his repression I don't think even before his parents were gone, he wasn't really taught to emote, um, you know, in a healthy way. His dad obviously dragged him out to look at a, a dead uh, gay man and show him this to strike fear, fear God into him, basically, and show him what could happen. Um, you know, not that his, I don't, I, I don't think in any sense that his dad suspected that he was gay, but just to kind of show them like this is how things are around here and so we get that set in our minds very early for this relationship who the two characters are and i and as they're as we learn more and more about them we know that um jack grew up rodeoing Um, ennis gives away very little for the absolute longest time so we see i see Something that is, I think, very interesting is they establish Jack's risk-taking behavior. So his row-doing, which is obviously very dangerous, um, you know, he's a little bit cocky, a little bit proud, but he's a thrill-seeker. He's willing to take risks. He's a dreamer. In every way, as we go along, these two characters kind of are on parallel lines, but opposite sides of uh, of a barrier. Because I see, um, you know, Ennis is uh cautious and Jack is a risk taker Ennis is withdrawn and Jack is outspoken outgoing, yeah. uh, Ennis is um like uh, what what's I'm I'm missing the words but um we we see them basically as two sides of the same coin and um I'm I'm going to look for my my description here so I see Uh, Ennis like as an expression of loneliness or I see Jack as an expression of loneliness and Ennis as an expression of repression and it's just cool. The small details that they tie in through this story. I mean, in the beginning, did, in the beginning, did you foresee the kind of relate path their relationship was going to take? Um, kind of, I mean, you you get hints, like you said, like they, you, you got some. I what do you I, got? I finally remember what I was trying to say. Um, Ennis is cynical and Jack is optimistic. Ennis is a realist and Jack is an idealist. Those were the adjectives that I was go. looking for. So yeah. we see that all throughout the story, right? Because I was so lost in my train of thought there for a second, <laughs> floating out in who knows where. But don't go too far now. Like. Throughout the story, we see it again and again. You got even one. So, you've got the risk taking behavior at the beginning where Jack is the initiator. He's the one to take the first move. He takes Ennis's hand and moves it over onto him and initiates that interaction. It could have just been really cold. <laughs> no, but it, it never, realistically, it never would have happened without Jack, I don't think, because Ennis would have. Ennis, yeah, he wouldn't
1: have done anything.
0: I think Ennis was infatuated with Jack from very early on. And you see some of the looks. I think the way that. Jack's personality attracts him. The idea of the person that he wants to be the person that, uh, he, he's like, Oh, a mayor couldn't shake me. Like he's confident. He's expressive. He's outgoing. He wants to be this kind of person that is like, uh, that has that level of confidence. Cause he's so, he's so built on fear and this has so much fear and, and Jack seems courageous. Like he's like a fair, and he's like this mayor could never shake me. And I think the way that he is with the horse is one of the first things that endears Ennis towards Jack, and he like kind of starts to build this little crush towards him. And Jack shows us that he he through all these different ways that the horse with the rodeoing with with being the initiator that he's the risk taker that he's the emboldened one. And Ennis is really attracted to that from the very beginning. But then we have these these other details like throughout the story, Jack is saying, "Ennis, I I, I want us to have a life together. Like let's let's leave our wives. Let's go." Let's start. Let's like go have a farm together, a ranch together, and we'll live this happy life together. He's idealist. He's yeah, optimistic. He he's wants not these, afraid for yeah, people exactly. to see who he, he truly is. He wants to be happy, and he's willing to take those risks to be happy. But Ennis is the one always rebuffing him because of all these feelings that Ennis has where he's the complete opposite of Jack, but he's attracted to him for being the opposite of him. So I think there's a, that's why I like the story so much because there's all these details where they feel like real fleshed-out characters, and it plays out in a realistic way. Like, the... Constantly rejecting, rejecting Jack is just all out of this fear that Ennis has that was instilled with him. What we talked about with his parents, with or with his dad, showing him this at a very young age, the root of Ennis's fear that he won't be accepted, that maybe that he might be killed. But I even have, I, I even think his deepest fears are just about perception because. Ennis doesn't seem to fear these other guys at the firework display. He doesn't seem to fear physical violence. He's willing to fight these two guys at once, but he fears public perception and he fears the lack of acceptance Acceptance, or self-acceptance or reciprocation even. Um, And it really stunts his life and ruins his life in a lot of ways. Yeah. So act one kind of, ends when they leave that
1: mountain for the fir- for the first summer that they're working there and it transitions into a scene that we kind of already talked about where they were talking about hey like when we gonna see each other are you going to come back next summer blah 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 i don't know maybe the army will get me you know like they were kind of making up little excuses of like why it wouldn't work and in that moment it seemed like jack was hoping ennis would try a little bit harder you know to make an effort to possibly see each other again and throughout this second act here, a lot of time goes by. And the next time that they see each
0: other is four years later. You want to pick up from there? Yeah. I mean, four years later, we get now they have their own separate past. They have their own separate families. If I'm remembering yep. in the order yep. perfectly. Yep. And I mean, it may not be perfectly, but, um, you know, Lorreen is now with Jack Ennis now is with Alma. Uh, They both have kids or kids on the way. And Jack finds where Ennis is and sends him this postcard. Jack, again, being the initiator, being the risk taker, wanting, wanting to push for... Going to get together again. Mm-hmm. Ennis obviously, clearly is very excited by this. He's just not the initiator. When he sees the card, he's elated. But he's and he sends it back and it says, "You bet, you bet, yeah, right." Like <laughs> like, he's excited. It? All you he, says, but he's also very yeah short yeah, of cards. You're right.
1: But like, he haven't talked to this guy in four years, man.
0: But for him, that's also like genuinely excited. You yeah. know, <laughs> you bet is like <laughs> <You> an <bet. laughs> en- emphatic response. Right. But um, it's it's really like it's it's so interesting because. Jack, while he's the initiator, it also puts him in like this really bad position because I think that there's a metaphor again in the shot where he lassos Ennis, right? Like he he walks up to Ennis who's sitting all depressed because the summer's having to end early in the first act, jumping around, but he lassos him as a little joke, but... He's always trying to lasso Ennis. Like he's always trying to he's trying to corral. He's trying to corral him. He's, corral him. he's him. yeah, he wants like he wants this life and Ennis is always running away, like mm-hmm. to be escaped. Like it's in the meta it's a, it's a metaphor throughout the movie. They're trying to herd the sheep. You know, Ennis is like the sheep. He he has to he they wants to corral him. They're trying to he's trying to tame the mare, the horse. Ennis is like the horse. He can't be settled down or broken in. He doesn't want to be controlled. He he's gonna do what he wants to do. And then there's even the layer of Ennis laughing at Jack saying, I thought there was a mare you couldn't tame. How'd it throw you off? Ennis is the mare. He's bucking him. He's throwing him off. He can't be pinned down. And Jack is confident. I mean, Jack's probably had luck with ladies. I mean, look at Jake Gyllenhaal's face. <laughs> He's probably had luck with ladies that he can't have with Ennis because he can't, you know, break him in. Yeah. He can't control him and is just too afraid to be taken in like that so in this act we see that this has gotten so bad that they both have basically just fake lives mm-hmm. you know um which 60s and 70s very commonplace very unfortunate but very commonplace that they would have these beards these you know relationships that they're just maintaining for public appearance and when you get when he gets that you bet in the mail they start Every couple months it seems like Jack will come up to to Wyoming to Riverton. Yeah, come up to Riverton and they, you know, escape off to themselves. But the first time that they do this is shocking in the movie, yeah. is it not? Ennis initiates in this instance. They haven't seen
1: each other in four Dude, years. Ennis runs out the house to see him. Yes. And then like pushes him out of sight and starts making out with him. And they're in their front yard. I you think know, despite
0: like, everything that we see from or hear from the dialogue, Ennis may even want the relationship more. Mm-hmm. He just has he's his, how much he wants it is here. And his fear is that much, much higher. Just above, yeah. Like he, he, cause Jack. Dude, shocked yeah, me. Yeah. Ja- yeah. Yeah. shocked me too. But. They, <laughs> what are you doing, man? Like, I, I was saying the other I can't day wait that. Wait fifteen
1: minutes for you guys to leave.
0: I remember like the moments my jaw dropped watching a movie. The last time it happened was when I was watching Hereditary, and spoiler alert for Hereditary: cover your ears. There's a girl whose head gets smacked against the post. All right, and when that happened, I was jumped out of my seat, jaw dropped. This is like this is one of the most jaw dropping moments I've ever seen in a movie, and I kind of felt a degree of, of that, you know. Um in this scene where he runs out the door, kisses her Didn't or you kisses like, him, almost not want to watch because you're like,
1: "Whoa, man! You're not supposed yeah. to do this it's
0: like, yet." It's like you're, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> not, your not, wife's going to see. Not even like as much covering my eyes. It's just my hands on my yeah. head in panic. Like she, for like, here's how I see the scenario: is your wife has been married to you for years, and she seen this like stonehenge of a man like so unemotional unreacting unflinching and she sees him wait around all day for this buddy of his check the window multiple times and then he jumps leaps off runs out the door like runs out the door never seen him smile and he's like giddy like a kid on their first day of school running out the door you think she's not going to follow you out the door and come to introduce herself to your like friend like even if she didn't see you that excited she'd probably just be polite enough to come outside and I was like she's going to see him she's going to to see sure. him she has to They were like right they're in the door. wide open oh yeah i was God. like i was like you're gonna get caught you're gonna get caught and of course he does and like i said alma in that moment really doesn't have a look i just watched a clip of it recently she doesn't have a look of surprise on her face she has a look of just like and she turns around and walks away like and she, yeah. she doesn't confront him she just sits and wallows in that sadness yeah, not
1: only in that moment does she not confront him but later she doesn't confront him until like they're divorced yeah you know like isn't that wild? Like why why wouldn't she like say something? She must be like a like very like close to like not yeah. being able to display her feelings or maybe
0: she fears. I think the same way that Anis is afraid of public perception, I think she's afraid of losing like her family. And mm-hmm. I think she thinks if she can like play pretend and play house, that maybe this won't be an issue or maybe it'll even go away. But after so much time, I think she just breaks. Like she's another example of like the build and build and build and explode, which is kind of how this movie works too. Is like, cause it can be slow. It definitely. I could see, you know, somebody telling me that this movie is slow because it's a build. And then there's like a few explosions bursts in the movie. Yeah. It's definitely slow, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And we'll get more into that so like for our backseat directing segment. But yeah, let's continue on with the, the story. Of the movie. So then they're doing this like every couple months, like we said, and they're living these lives where, like we said, there's this builds and explodes. We see Ennis have a fight at the fireworks display. We have see Jack, you know, have this great scene. one of my like, my favorite scenes in the movie where he lets loose on his uh, father-in-law. I saw a clip of that scene, oh, my, actually. My favorite scene was when he let loose with Anne Hathaway. <laughs> no 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 no! no. Uh, cut the cameras <laughs> no, um but i that scene is so good when he yells at the father-in-law he says sit down you old son of a bitch yeah this is my house this is my son and you are my guest that's you like, <laughs> that's so like good the point
1: where you like you're sitting on the couch and then you like lean forward <laughs> the, edge of the couch and you're like let's go tell him tell him he's <laughs> like I don't know. Do you ever feel like that with like your in laws? It's just like, man, like I just really want to say this, but I can't say this.
0: No, my actually very fortunate in my case, and I'm not just saying it for the cameras. I was my I have or
1: not even in laws, just like there is people at work. Oh, there's you know, people. Like, yeah, just
0: like some
1: situation. Oh, customers at work. Oh, yeah. You're like, you gotta, gotta be professional. Like, yeah, yeah, you have to be very polite, whether it's for like your family or whatever. But you just don't
0: want to anymore, like because. But yeah. for someone like that, like a gay man in the '70s, like you're always putting on a facade. You're always yeah. holding something back. So, for the, for the him to like unleash on him is like a means a little, something a little different. Which you see I,
1: Anne Hathaway too. She like kind of looks down. She and smiles. smiles. She's yeah,
0: happy about it. She's happy that she he stood up
1: to her dad. You know, which yeah, that was a cool scene.
0: Yeah, it's the movie does this really cool thing where it juxtaposes you know back and forth these things that are traditionally masculine and it's making the point that like being a gay man does not mean that you are necessarily feminine and there's nothing inherently wrong with being a masculine man a feminine man or a feminine woman or a masculine woman like there's nothing inherently wrong with that the movie is yeah whether you're straight or not the movie's about the dangers of not being who you are so like She's, I think she's excited to see him like display like this masculine emotion, mm-hmm. but like the the juxtaposition of this movie is like making the point to you that like he can be tenderly loving with another man and wrapped in that embrace. And then it, he can also be, you know, traditional things that are considered traditionally masculine, like aggressive, assertive, like, and that is true. Like I, it's, it's something that hadn't been depicted a lot in Hollywood before. So moving yeah, go ahead. So moving forward with the plot from there, where do we go next? He's, they've had this, we, we've explained they've got this long, I think we should hit the big speech from Jake Hall just real quick. So basically all this hiding of their emotions and sexuality comes to a, a head with this camping trip where you have this iconic speech from Jake Hall, really well delivered, really well acted, where he tells him, like, it's not. it's not as... Easy for me as it is for you. You don't know how bad it gets. All these things like uh, he's, you know, he's been to Mexico and, you know, he's, he's, really like his. It's like his cry for help. Like he's like, I can't keep doing this. I've been begging you for us to have our life together, and you keep turning me down. I'm unhappy. And he says, I, I wish I knew how to quit you, because like to him, Anis is like. It's like tobacco or like an addiction. He keeps going back because it's it's an it's an addiction of happiness. and then when he's away from him, he's sad, you know he's yeah and and Ennis is refusing to let him be happy as he sees it. okay. and then moving on to act three, Ennis gets another postcard in the mail and it says that Jack has passed away. Yeah, it must have been a return postcard that Ennis sent letting him know that the recipient is deceased. And I was watching this thinking like, man, that must be such a punch in the face. If this is like a complete spoiler to you, if you, and you didn't, did you know that was going to happen? No. Was it shocking? Cause I knew it was going to happen. You did know? Yeah. Yeah. I did. not I, uh, yeah, I was speechless. I was like, "Why?" <laughs> what do you why? mean?
1: I was like, "Why?" why happened? Like, they they just were in a fight. Why did he die now? Like,
0: why? It's always the worst time. Yeah, I was like,
1: why? Yeah, he <laughs> didn't have to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's so tragic. And when he calls Lorene, she is giving him this story that he was pumping up a tire on the side of the road, exploded, and killed him. Which I and and then we see played out in Ennis's mind. His worst fear is like this gang of thugs coming to kill Jack, presumably for his sexuality. I think that is the reality. Do you think that was Ennis's fear or do you think that was the reality? That's what I was
1: going to say. I, I think it was the reality.
0: That's how I interpret it too, because Lorene doesn't seem like there's any love lost. I know Jack said earlier in the movie, they could do their marriage over a phone, but even people who don't have a very loving marriage would still be really emotional talking about their death. And she seems very calm. So I think she seems like she would maybe have more of her father's I- ideals because her father's clearly he's her father says about his grandson oh you him you to grow up and be a man right he's got to watch football so he's got traditional very traditionalist beliefs i think she kind of shares those i think she probably knew that he was gay and accepted that this happened to him because he was gay i think she wasn't super emotional and then i also think he was literally like a top equipment salesman like he was riding, driving this tractor around the parking lot of his father-in-law's workshop i don't think he's the kind of guy with with our knowledge of who he is you know to not know how to to pump a tire yeah i I don't think that's a realistic cover story i think he was beaten i think
1: think that like flash was reality to what happened especially since we know that uh ennis has seen that uh outcome before so i think it was kind of like just a tie you know and to show us that ennis knows yeah and to show too, like that in a way, Ennis was right. Like his his well, biggest fears kind of came true.
0: But I think the ultimate takeaway is that his biggest fears came true despite all of his precautions. Right. That he was so cautious that he was still unable to protect. Kind of like we talked about Keller Dover in Prisoners. Or Uguay um, has a really good line in Kung Fu Panda where he says, one often meets their destiny on the path to avoid it. And I've always thought that kind of rang true. So I think that this is a really life-changing event, obviously, for Ennis. And I think this is the summation of his character arc in the movie, um, is when she tells him that he wants his, wanted his ashes spread at Brokeback Mountain. Because at this point in the movie, Brokeback Mountain's kind of become this like idyllic place. They reference it like he says, all we have now is Brokeback Mountain. It becomes Mountain. its own character. Yeah, it does. And I think I also see it like as uh in in their memory and in the the film the memory kind of of the film itself as like a paradise like brookback mountains this idyllic place it's this mountains and streams and they could be who they really want to be and they're happy and in love and the sun shines and but there's like i mentioned the looming metaphor of the storm you know there's the uh the building, the storm represents the buildup, the charging up, and the explosion that we see in different points in the film. And it also represents kind of the fears of Ennis and the, the outside world that's looming in the danger. And then you've got Brokeback Mountain that's like this heavenly place. And when they leave Brokeback Mountain and go to their real lives, so a lot of the shots are desolate, flat, depressing, boring. Yeah, great. Yeah. And, and so I think that all this representation around Brokeback Mountain, where he wants his ashes spread... This all lends to why it means so much. It's also kind of one of the last wishes he can get, his last connection to Jack. So he goes to pick up the ashes from Jack's parents. Tough scene. Oh, yeah. Super emotional. I mean, you can tell that his parents know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they his parents, in their own way, both seem to have this acceptance for their son. They seem to have it's it's almost especially in the dad it's like a begrudging acceptance but it's an i love my son and we see that in the the dad's refusal to give him the ashes he says he's going to be buried in the family plot somebody who hated their son would not make that strong of a stance to keep him with the family forever and the mother just through her connection with ennis like she's like please come back she's she's like invites him up to see jack's room upstairs like she loves her son. She which
1: how sad was his room?
0: Oh yeah, This is like yeah we haven't just touched a window since he was a kid. <laughs> what do you mean? There's nothing in there. there no Batman posters or nothing. Yeah, come on. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> but uh, also to go to to literally go into the closet and to find their shirts wrapped over each other in the closet, like um, such a plain as day metaphor. And then the the shirt he he has. Ennis's shirt, Jack has Ennis' shirt draped around his shirt. And and then further to the end of the movie, Jack still has that... Actually, I think Jack might have his shirt around Ennis' shirt, and then uh, Ennis reverses it for the end of the movie. I could be wrong on that. You can check me on that. But basically, the way Ennis has it at the end of the movie is definitely with uh, Ennis' shirt on the outside, kind of like he's always embracing Jack in a way. Mm-hmm. And he has it hung up next to a picture of Brokeback Mountain, so it's like... Jack is still connected to Brokeback Mountain because ultimately the father refuses to give him the ashes. And I'm, I like that Ennis respected that. Um, right. I, I wish almost that he would have got the ashes from Lorene cause she had a, she's mentioned she had the other half of his ashes and Lorene didn't really seem to care about Jack. So I wish Ennis could have had those to spread at Brokeback Mountain. Um, but this, you're right. Could you imagine believing something that strongly to where like your husband died and you're like,
1: that's just what happens
0: yeah I mean even if even if like my I hate, hated my spouse maybe it's just spending hell at that point I guess yeah you I know, mean le- they, letters wouldn't travel that fast they in passed 1980s through
1: time like really quickly in this movie so like maybe it's been a year you know maybe it's been a while since they've last seen each other since he passed away so like maybe the the wife Anne Hathaway's character has had time to mm-hmm. grieve Maybe.
0: I think her face was just too stoic. I think yeah. they did it on purpose to show her. Yeah.
1: Um, you want to go into a little bit of our backseat directing segment? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so this is where we put ourselves in the director's seat, and we uh, second or even throw in our opinions of what we would change in this movie. And I have a, a few things here. The first one is a change. Um, Jack Twist. Come on,
0: we can do better than
1: that. <laughs> we, we we can do better than Jack Twist. And
0: Estelle Mar rolls off the tongue really well. Yeah, yeah, Anistelmar. that's a
1: cool name. That's a cool cowboy I'll, name, I'll right like there. I like when Linda
0: Carnelli says but it. Jack
1: Twist. It just felt like out of place. It felt wrong. I don't know. Sounds like a porn star. Thing. <laughs> so, no, it felt. Guess. It
0: did. It did feel cartoonish. Like whose yeah, last. Like whose last name is. I felt like I couldn't take it seriously
1: when I heard his name Twist. Like. I don't know. We can do better. We can do better. What do you got for... Do you, do you have one? We'll kind of ping pong back and forth here.
0: Things that I would change? Yeah.
1: Or or things that you would agree with. And and uh, what's the word when you're like... Reinforce. Yeah. Things that you would reinforce.
0: If something I would change is... Um, I don't particularly love the, m- the note that the movie ended on. I feel like it's like a like light at the end of the tunnel you know, emotional, but positive vibe. But I also feel like I would have liked to see the character development play out a little more. I get that him, that Ennis agreeing to prioritize his daughter and prioritize his daughter's wedding uh, is kind of a a big deal for him. But I maybe would have liked to see that character growth play out like a little bit more because it just seems like a small bite of the pie. For all that we've been through. Yeah, we really didn't get to see a ton of his relationship with his kids either. So, like,
1: that's what we're ending on. It just feels like maybe a little incomplete. That was another thing that I had on my list is, like, why did Jack have to die? You know, like, what if they, they Jack went a separate way or, or something? You know, like, I don't know. I, I just, maybe it was because I was watching and I just wasn't ready for, the main character you know to pass away like they like he
0: did um it feels like so strange when he dies because with him being such a main character you would think they would show you something before they hit you with the yeah. knowledge that he's died yeah it was very like subtle and like
1: that's kind of the theme of the whole movie uh in terms of how they like pass time you know like sometimes you don't realize time's passed until you've been in that time for a little bit of time <laughs> you know what i mean that that might have been a little <laughs> undiluted there but uh like even when they're on the mountain in the first act you know like a lot of time is passing from scene to scene but they don't necessarily like tell you that you know they kind of just show you that repeatedly and then you kind of pick up on like okay a lot of time is going on here or passing you know and then that's kind of what happens when he passes away too you know it's like kind of out of nowhere, even though it might not have been out of nowhere in the actual story of life.
0: But we have sung this movie's praises a lot, but to go on things that I would keep the same or reinforce is the the acting, the writing. Um, If I could pick a, a really particular thing, it would be the The practical sets, like the way they shot out in nature, is just you can't really replace that. And yeah. they shot with actual sheep, which is really cool as well to have these herds of animals. And I think there's moments, in hillside views, one in particular comes to mind where the sheep are probably not actually there, but the anywhere they're near the sheep is real sheep. And the Ang Lee actually has a funny anecdote about this where he had shot using sheep in, I think he did a movie Sense and Sensibility. Um, and the sheep were just really hard to deal with. Like sheep don't drink from a running water water source. Apparently they only drink from a pond or lake sitting water and they could not get these sheep to drink. <laughs> so the, he vowed that he wouldn't work with sheep again. And then I don't know how common this is in filmmaking, but he ended up working with sheep again in this movie. And good thing that he did. Cause then being there practically, it makes a world of a difference.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I would second all the things that you said as well. Um, I've, one of the things I think that this isn't a negative, it's more of an observation and um, maybe it's not like how I would approach it, but um, it's definitely not something that I'm criticizing in a negative way. But this movie is slow. Um, Some, some parts, you know, I could see myself drifting a little bit, you know, and losing focus a little bit from the story. But at the same time, because it was so slow, it felt so real, you know, it, the whole time it felt like real life. It felt like the pace of real life, you know, how you're just going through your day to day chores and work and job and family relations, you know, like it was, there wasn't anything like over the top. It was all very realistic, Yeah. you know, and,
0: and sometimes life itself is a little boring a little slow you know this um, is where the uh, cinematography and the writing pick up a lot of the legwork is with the pacing because it might have moments of slow pacing but I was never I, I never checked my watch during this movie I didn't check to see how much time was left in the movie I was engrossed in the movie myself personally the whole time wondering what was gonna happen next locked in completely so I, I wasn't scrolling or anything so I feel like they they managed to to do to use the slow pacing in an effective way where I was still drawn in the whole time. Yeah. Overall,
1: great story, great acting, great movie. Um, I'm excited that we kind of changed genres a little bit here, you know, and watch something different from what we're,
0: we're normally reviewing. We may not get as many views as our DC or Marvel content, but I, I'm going to skip the curse word. (laughs) I freaking love, Doing this, doing yeah, these kind of movies makes me so happy. Um, it's, it just feels like there's so much to chew on, like the, the metaphors and everything from like the landscape. I've, I've seen people describe the, you know, the mountains as in, in Brokeback as being like traditional manly things. They're, they're rigid, they're strong, they're tall, they're powerful. Is, yeah. And it's, this it's is everything like, and this is storytelling. Yeah. This isn't
1: really yeah. necessarily entertainment. You know, you know, you kind of understand the difference of like, or I kind of understand the difference or get the feeling that like the Marvel and DC stuff like that's entertainment. Yeah. You know, but this is storytelling. Like I wasn't, wasn't like happy at the end of this movie, you know, but that doesn't mean that it was a bad story. It doesn't mean it wasn't valuable. Yeah. It, it was a risky story, especially for the time, you know, and, and it was a relatable story. In a lot of senses, in a lot of ways. You know, so yeah, it it was great to jump into something different, you know? And I'm I'm glad that we have that opportunity on this podcast to talk about whatever the heck we want. (laughs) Be your own boss. Yeah. So we wanna thank everyone who has watched this episode, watched previous episodes. We appreciate I get the feeling that you're wrapping up, but did you wanna hear my fun facts? Your fun facts, yeah, man, sure. Um, I am looking over at my camera there, and I noticed that I have my battery in rather than the the AC adapter. So that battery does look like it's getting a little low. So let me change that real quick, because I'm afraid it's going to cut out. Okay.
0: All right, got the camera fixed. Andrew, fun facts. All right, I'm ready with my fun facts. So, Aaron, did you know? Yes. Did you know that the, sh- the shirts worn by Jack and Ennis in this movie, prominently featured at the end of the film, were sold at auction on eBay for, can you guess how much? <sighs> so much, probably. $101,000. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, they were bought by a gentleman. I believe he's a gay rights activist. Uh, he purchased them, said that he would never, he would never wear them, alter them, really touch them, but just to preserve them as the iconic piece of the history of cinema and and you know LGBTQ culture that they are. So pretty cool. Wow, that's a lot. That's absolutely awesome. It's a insane sum of money. Um, there is also where did that money go to? Um, I think like the production, the yeah, the, the studio I believe sold it. So I don't think it went to any particular cause. I yeah. I I'd have to double check that. Um so the yeah, I don't see any cause listed on here. <laughs> just 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 making extra money. Just into millionaires' <laughs> pockets already. <laughs> but the uh so as we know, the love making in this film is really um uh rough as I learned at nine years old, um, the, so, but the, it's really physical and the act, the performance of acting was really physical. So there's an interview where Jake Gyllenhaal was talking about, he's filming the scene like multiple times with Heath Ledger and they're like get, getting really physical. And he said that at one point Heath Ledger almost broke his nose. I, <laughs> guess, I guess he got knocked upside the face pretty good at one point when they were trying to f- film it. So yeah, it was, was that during like the Like that fight scene that they had on the mountain? No, it was the lovemaking. Oh, wow. I think the initial scene. Dang, he's getting into it. He said there's, you know what? It may not have been, because he said there's a scene where like, I think he said it was in a scene where Heath Ledger pushed him up against the wall, and then he pushed him up against the wall, uh, Mm. something like that. So it may have been when they were filming that kiss. Yeah. Yeah. In front front of Alma. Um, Also, Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams, who plays Alma, the couple who are married in the movie, fell in love filming the movie and got married and later got divorced. Wow wow I, I did not know that going into this at all did she um, see him kissing christian bale uh <laughs> that, that i've missed that scene in the dark knight um also uh the movie saved ang lee from early retirement i guess he was going to retire before this movie came out and he came wow. out of, out of interest in doing this movie um and also amongst the contenders for people there was a lot of people con- in contention for this role apparently it's rumored that uh matt damon and ben affleck were considered to play the roles of jack and NS. Wow. uh besties this is very Owen Wilson response. Wow. (laughs) Um, Also, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Billy Crudup, uh, Colin Farrell, uh, as well as we already mentioned, Joaquin Phoenix and Josh Hartnett were all considered, which is really interesting. I mean, this must have been a very highly appraised script. Like, they must have known from the jump all these people that... Because they had high-value targets in mind for this. I'm glad the people that they ended up with. I think the movie is chef's kiss perfect with the way it is. Agreed. Um, But those are my fun facts. And I owe a lot of thanks for it to Screen Rant. I want to shout out Screen Rant. Their website has a list of um, interesting fun facts behind the scenes for this movie. Definitely. And I think that's a great note to end this episode on.
1: Thank you, everyone, so much for watching and supporting. We post new episodes every Monday and Thursday on our YouTube and our Spotify, Apple podcast and all the other podcast platforms. Uh, Go ahead and hit that subscribe and follow button. And give us a follow on Spotify. That helps the podcast out a bunch. We're on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube Shorts, and Facebook Reels. We post that every single day. So hit us up in the comments. A bunch of you guys have been on some of those uh, episodes where we've been doing debates like should superheroes kill or some of the other ones. Uh, The Sokovia Accords, was Iron Man right or Captain America right? And even for some reason people are really getting on to me about uh the sharks in aquaman so thank you so much for commenting and interacting with us we love to see it and we love interacting with you guys thank you so much and that's that's a wrap. wrap